Hi folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is March 29, 2017. This is episode 1972 of the Survival Podcast. And it is going to be a Just Jack show. What happened to the uh, interview? Um, it's been a crazy couple weeks and we just didn't have one scheduled for today. So I had to pull something out of my fourth point of contact. I think I did a good job, though. Today's show is called 20 Things Every Child Should Know How to Do by Age 14. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to be brief in the intro segment on explaining what we're talking about because i got a whole intro plan for why I chose this topic and you know <clears throat> why you shouldn't actually look at my list and go, well, I'm going to make sure we do these exact 20 things. Or, hey, Jack left these three things off that I really... No, it's not kind of like that. You'll see in a bit. Before we get into this, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Guys, right now, do you know I have personally about 100 trees, vines, and bushes from Bob Wells Nursery on my property? Over time, they will produce season after season of edible products. They look great, too. Bob Wells is always my first choice when buying new trees, vines, and shrubs for my permaculture work. Check them out at bobwellsnursery.com today. One of my favorite people I get to work with at TSP is Chef Keith Snow of HarvestEating.com. Chef Keith can teach you to cook fantastic meals, develop a great food storage program, and more. He is also the source of my favorite line of spices and seasoning mixes that I use in all my weekly cooking. Check out his products, great blog, and podcast at HarvestEating.com. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. The year is 1972 because the episode... Is 1972. We have two today from Alex Shrug and one from Southpaw Ben. From Alex Shrug, we have the worldwide danger of global cooling. We have the plumbers are at it again from Southpaw Ben, and also by Alex Shrug, the Munich massacre and the wrath of God. You can guess which one I'm going to read, can't you? Notable births this year: John Jack Spierko, minor celebrity, best known for the podcast you're currently listening to. Thanks for everything you do, Jack. It's much appreciated. My pleasure with you and your family as you guys go through this hard time. Southpaw Ben. Thanks, Ben. Nikki Haley, governor of South Carolina, born this year. Scott Peterson, currently on death row for the murder of his pregnant wife, Lacey. Will Wheaton, Wesley Crusher on Star Trek The Next Generation. In movies, Ben Affleck, Cameron Diaz, and Gwyneth Paltrow. In music, Brad Paisley and Eminem. I didn't know I shared a birth year with Eminem. Wow. Uh, in sports, Terrell Davis, Drew Bledsoe, and Shaquille O'Neal. Those are some good guys to share. A, uh, a birth year with. This year in film, The Godfather, The Poseidon Adventure, Behind the Green Door, and Fritz the Cat, which was an X-rated animal film and the ninth highest grossing film this year. Pornography breaks into the top ten in terms of gross sales. It's a striking change from societal norms this year in 72. This year in TV, MASH, The Korean War is played for laughs. After Hogan's Heroes, Anything is Possible. Kung Fu, a martial arts expert, travels the Wild West beating up cowboys. The Waltons, John Boy reminisces about growing up on the family farm. Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve begins. It will continue even after he passes away. And the home box office channel launches. It will become HBO three years later. In this year in music, I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar by Helen Reddy. American Pie by Don McLean. Quote, I saw Satan laughing with delight the day the music died. End quote. 
I was really tempted to overrule John Adam and play that song, but I've played that song, so I have a different song for you guys at the end of this year. Day by Day from the off-Broadway musical Godspell. And the U.S. extends uh, uh, the federal copyright to recordings. Before this time, individual states handled the issue, or they didn't handle it at all. And years later, Napster would turn everything on his head, right? This year in video games, the Magnavox Odyssey game call is released. Essentially, it's a tennis game with three dots and a line. Atari's Pong is a hit at the arcades. It's arguably a clone of the Odyssey game above. Atari is sued and loses, but in the long run, Magnavox is toast. In other news, the first scientific calculator appears. It's the HP 35. It sells for $395, which is $2,200 and $2,015. That's your Fed Reserve working for you. George Carlin is arrested for obscenity. Remember the seven words you can never say on television? Well, you can't say them on stage either. Not in 72, anyway. Jane Fonda is photographed sitting on a North Vietnamese anti-aircraft gun. She apologizes later, much later. And Nixon goes to China. I guess the ping-pong tournament worked. Malik's dead in the photos, but his demise is four years away. I can't wait, says Alex Shrugged. I am going to read the uh, worldwide danger of global cooling, because it's a real thing that we've all but had erased from our memories by the mainstream media. As everyone knows, we are headed toward another ice age. No one is panicking, with the possible exception of the news media and the science fiction writers, but the trend is clear. If the bomb doesn't get us, meaning the atomic bomb landing on our heads, then the follow-on nuclear winter certainly will. It's only a matter of time. The English meteorologist Hubert Lamb has opened a small research facility to look at the problem, and it's an exaggeration to call an institute right now. But in time, Dr. Lamb's theories will set the world on fire. I mean, send an icy chill through the scientific community and the general public. In two years, predictions of an Arctic expansion reaching New York will become scientific fact. Global cooling is real. Believe it. Quote, The longer the planners delay, the more difficult will they find it to cope with the climate change once the results become a grim reality. End quote. Peter Gwynn writing for Newsweek, April 28, 1975. Newsweek was, uh, my take by Alex Shrug, Newsweek was late to the party. I remember as far back as 1966 worrying about the coming Ice Age. In fact, I wrote a short story about it, which is, merc is now mercifully missing. By the time Newsweek and Science News got a hold of the story, global cooling was a reality, and global famine was inevitable. Stock up on canned goods now. Peter Gwynn eventually retracted his article on global cooling, but it took him 31 freaking years to do it. Thanks, Pete. Thanks a lot. Dr. Lamb was soon boasting an honorary doctorate for his work in climate science. Once he realized that the cooling trend had turned into a warming trend, he switched to global warming and then global climate change. He passed away almost 10 years ago, but his work lives on like a Frankenstein's monster. Indeed. This is why people like me don't just say, oh, gee, it's all settled science and scientific fact, because I'm not quite as old as Alex Shrugged. Born this year in 72. But let me tell you something. By the mid-80s, they still had quacks. They called them scientists. Coming on nightly news at times, showing computer models of the ice caps coming down to kill us all. This is like 84, 85, 86, 87. The shit was still going on. By this time, we'd already started to head into a warming phase. And they just switched and switched and switched. But let me read that quote for you from Peter Gwynn. Newsweek, April 28, 1975. Doesn't it sound just like what they're saying today? I mean, verbatim, the longer the planners delay, the more difficult will they find it to cope with climate change once the results become grim reality. The more things change, the more they stay the same. You guys are the pawns in the views of the people in power, and they'll use whatever they can to scare you and direct you wherever you want. they want you to go. 
All right, folks, let me remind you that the main way that you can support the work that we do here at the Survival Podcast is by joining the Member Support Brigade, or MSB for short. And you hear me talk all the time about the over 60 discounts that you get, but let me tell you some of the other things you get. How about nine free ebooks, including Planting Trees the Low Cost Easy Way, How to Build Top Bar Beehives, Basics of Sprouting, Building an EPAC Kit, Getting Your Household in Order, Building a Traditional Clay Oven, Building Aquaponic Systems, Secrets of Ballistic Strikings, and Squanto's Garden. All of those are free ebooks that you get only as an MSB member. You can also download MP4 versions of many of our YouTube videos. You get zip files of every episode of TSP ever produced. And how about videos of the workshops here at Nine Mile Farm that we do in the spring and the fall? All of that and more available as an MSB member. You can sign up for as little as five bucks a month to give it a shot or $50 a year. That comes out to 18.3 cents an episode. Okay, so let's get into today's show. Um, I want to start out with kind of why I chose this topic today. One is that I, you know, I, I woke up and had to come up with a topic and, uh, got a lot going on. I got two other videos out today. I had a bunch of work to get done on the farm. As, as many of you know, if you've listened earlier this week, we had a, a, a death in the family. My father-in-law has passed away. We have the funeral coming up Saturday. With all this, Dorothy didn't have a guest scheduled for Wednesday, and so like I have to come up with something. And I was thinking about what I should come up with, and I'm th I think about this this young kid that works for me. This is the second one now, and uh, <clears throat> I, I think about the things this kid can't do. I think about how this kid is actually a good kid on some levels. He's a smart person, but on other other, other areas, I refer to him as a dumbass. I'm serious, and I don't do it to me, man. I don't do it to him, but that's like between me and Dorothy. I'm like, what the kid's a dumbass today, and 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 how in some ways he actually can speak up for himself, and in other ways he's socially awkward. And I think about how I kind of beat down on this whole generation often, and I realize like, you know, talking about it doesn't help with the problem at all. And the real problem we have is that. If this runs unabated, my God, what, what is the next generation going to be like? What are the kids that are five and six now going to be like? You know, the oldest millennials are raising children, to put it in perspective. The oldest millennials now have children. Do, do, you, do you get that? Do you, I mean, do you really, does that start to make sense? And then the, the trail end of Generation X are the main parents right now, and you, you really can kind of sort of limp lump them in with the with the millennials. I think everybody thinks of the millennials as like the kids today, right? Um, the millennial generation is officially children born between 1982 and 2004. So your your youngest millennials today by the way the, the whoever whatever you call a person that sets generations is is 13. That's your youngest millennial today is 13 years old. Uh, on the other side of it, your oldest millennial is 35. It's 35. I don't know if they've really determined what they're calling the next generation. I've heard them referred to as Generation Z. I've heard them uh, referred to as Internet Natives. The reason to refer to them as Internet Natives is they've never known a world without an Internet. You know, as we were 35 today, you kind of remember a world without an Internet. If, if you're if you're 13, I guess you don't. If you're the tail end of the the, the, the millennials, but you got to come up with something to, to make these things marketable, I guess. Uh, but you think about Generation Z right now is being raised by the youngest members of Gen X and the oldest members of the millennials. So whose fault is it that these kids don't know how to do stuff? Is it their fault? 
or is it their parents' fault? The oldest Gen Xers raised the, the, the millennials and the youngest boomers and the tweeners. There's this little piece in the middle they call tweeners between the baby boomers and Gen X, my generation. We get to blame, guys. And I know some of you like have grown kids and all like I do, and you're like, I don't get to blame. I taught my kids stuff. Yeah, but how many have it? And how many now are, are sitting in, their, in a place and are saying to themselves, look, I, I don't know how to teach my, you know, you're 35, 34, and you didn't get taught this stuff. And you, how do I, you, you, you struggle with the, the responsibilities and all, but just the skills we're going to talk about today. How do I teach what I never learned? Well, you go out and learn it. There's no excuse for not learning in 2017. There's probably a 14-year-old kid that can teach you how to do it on YouTube. Seriously. And I want to talk about kind of my decision today with skills versus philosophy. I think I've done enough philosophy on this in the past. And I think that if you go down the road of teaching your child skills, it will do two things. One, it will form a bond. I should say two things, several things. It will form a bond between you and your child. You'll have something to do together. And parents and children do not spend enough time doing things that are meaningful together anymore. Number two, if you're lacking these skills, well, you're going to have to figure out how to do them before you can teach them to your kid because you're not going to want to look like a dumbass in front of your kid. By the way, it's okay occasionally to look like a dumbass in front of your kid. Some of these things would be fine. Some of these things would be dangerous. Don't do any of the dangerous things until you're confident, you know that your child is personally ready. Number three, it will make you do something that most parents are not doing anymore and haven't done for a long time. Be a freaking leader. I, I think part of it is You know, my father's generation was big on being an absent parent. And, and I'm not singling out my dad. I'm talking about the whole generation. Like, And that's why Gen X, we, ra we raised ourselves. And then we got into this world where the, like, our job as a parent was actually easier. We have so much shit to distract our kids with that our parents didn't have. Right? We really do. But we never had a model of how to actually raise a child completely. Some of us did and we're lucky, but many of us didn't. You know, the, we're the generation they used to call latchkey kids. Because they got home from school, they came home and locked the door. That was the instructions. That way you'd be safe until mom or dad got home. Until you got a little bit older, then your friends could come in and latch the door with you. Or if you were like me, you went out and played. It was the end of the single parent, uh, work, single parent in the workplace. Mom and dad both had jobs. So when you got out of school, there was no one there. If you didn't, weren't lucky to have a local grandparent or something like that, you had to take care of yourself. And even when those people were around, you kind of took care of yourself. So you didn't learn a lot from your parents. And because you didn't learn a lot from your parents, you didn't learn some of the most important modeling when it comes to this stuff. And that is a little bit of the philosophy I want to share before we get into the things. The number one thing that I see parents screwing up today, they're trying to be their child's friend first and their parents second. I mean, that, that's absolutely the case. They want to be liked. They want to make deals with their kid to get things done or, or whatever. No. No. There's a place for making deals with your kid. That's when you're at a point where they want something and they're coming to you in a way disrespectful and you come up with, well, maybe you could if you did this and they counter up. That's fine. But when you say, I need you to take care of this, and they say, I don't want to right now, wrong answer. You need to be tough. You need to be tough at times. The other problem is we now live in a world where most parents put their children before their spouse. And this is an old problem. This is a problem that, that the, the oldest millennials are mimicking the, 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 the youngest and oldest 
youngest baby boomers and oldest Gen Xers that parented them. That's where it started. In my grandfather's generation, dad was the head of the freaking household. Where I grew up, we referred to the oldest male in the home as the old man. And it was not disrespectful. And we referred to the oldest woman in the house as the old lady, and it was not disrespectful. There's actually words for it in Ukrainian. But we spoke English because we lived in America. So the only time I ever heard Ukrainian was at church. And when my grandparents were mad and would cuss at each other and think I didn't know what they were saying. That was it. So we defaulted to the English equivalent of old lady and old man. It's respectful. And if you were the old lady married to the old man, the two of you looked at it, it's you guys first and the kids second. And we've been taught today that that's wrong. It, sound, it sounds wrong. No. When the mask drops in the airplane, what are you told to do if you have a child with you? Put your mask on first. And I hear stupid people saying, oh, bullshit. I'm going to put it. Okay, you're going to pass out and your kid's going to die. And you're not going to be there to take care of your kid. You idiot. And this is the whole way we're parenting now. So my hope in bringing like these skill sets to you today is to put you in a position where you're going to have to step into leadership if you're a parent. Or if you're going to advise somebody to listen to this, they're the same way. And I know it just sounds good when you say, well, my kids come first. Okay. There are things that your kids come first in. But in totality... You have to be respected as the head of the household, and you, not your wants necessarily, but your needs need to come first, and some of your wants. I just experienced this. Now, I've got a great family, and my nephew, I was so proud of him and his wife when this happened, but the brattiness of my niece blew me away. They had a, the, the girls stay with us for a night because they had to go do something, and the oldest daughter, I think she's like nine or ten, has wanted these shoes. And when, and when my nephew and his wife came to the door, his wife was wearing the shoes that apparently the girl wanted. And she flipped her lid. She yelled every day, I hate you, I wanted those, and mommy got them first. Oh. She went, and she went to run upstairs. Dorothy spun her around, and her parents handled it. You know how many parents don't handle it? And imagine that sentiment, that attitude, being allowed to be gotten away with. Your parents got what they wanted because they work hard for it. You get what you get when you get it. And I know some of you right now, this is rubbing. You know it's right, but it's rubbing you the wrong way, which is why I'm spending some time on it. Because that's the way it should be. You don't buy a pair of expensive shoes for a kid that's going to grow out of them in a month. Not when I was a kid, you didn't. You didn't get expensive shoes, period. But if you did, they were like hunting boots. You got them two sizes too big, so they'd last a while. And I'm not against kids having nice things. I understand sometimes you do a little bit to help a kid fit in a peer group. But you don't just give in to their demands. And you don't put them first. And the big thing you don't do, ever, when you're married, you don't put your kids before your spouse. Your kids are going to grow up and leave. Your spouse is going to grow old with you. Don't forget that. And we have, we have effed that up so bad. And we've effed it up for multiple generations now. From the 80s up till 2017, we've effed this up. And this mess we have, most of it goes back to there. And it, it is something I think is very important. It's why I chose this topic today. And I want you to understand there's also a mental shift that's led to these skills being lost. It's not just what I said. That's a big part of it. The other part of it is 
Through this time, we outsourced the learning that our children had to do to the school system. And in the 80s and the 90s, the school system sucked, but they didn't do that bad a job of giving your child a well-rounded general education in life. Because you took, you know, you took things like shop class in school. There were, there were, there were classes that were still what we called home economics. Sure, the boys generally didn't take it. I took it because there was all girls in the class. That made sense to me, and I got to cook food and eat it. Right? But we, we still had classes that taught people how. Now what they do is they give kids a baby that cries. You got to put a key in it and turn it and hold it till they stop crying. To learn parenting sucks. But they don't actually teach children how to actually like cook a meal. So what happened is when the schools were doing an okay job with that, we went to two-parent households, and it, the parents were more than happy to outsource that, especially when Johnny came home and knew how to make an egg or, or build a spice rack. And go, oh, well, he's learning how to use a bandsaw. I don't need to teach him. And you go, and you go Dad, can I use a bandsaw? And you're like, I don't know. And you go and you look. He's using it. He's using a safe. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Right? And we didn't have the safety police running around policing everything with safety all the time. So kids built ramps and jumped them off bicycles and got hurt. And they skinned their knee. But they learned from the experience. We took it all away. And then the, the propping up that the education system was doing went away. And if we don't restore individual leadership in America today, we're screwed. This will only get worse. There's a book that I read a long time ago, back when I first started the show, written by Lee Iacocca. It's called Where Have All the Leaders Gone? And I read this book, and I remember I, I never really cared much or cared little about Lee Iacocca. I just knew he kind of saved Chrysler. That was all I knew about him. My, my grandfather on my mom's side really, really liked him. Uh, after I read the book, I wasn't really sure why. It was an entertaining book. But when he was talking about leaders, he was talking about the next round of people to come up and run for president. And he was talking about the lack of leadership at the head of the country. He never mentioned a lack of leadership in the country. The, 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 the key lacking point of leadership in this country is at the individual level. As a parent, you should be the leader of your household. As, as, as a kid, you should be the leader of your life, and you should be taught to do that. We, we don't use words like these anymore. We don't hold accountability anymore because it, 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 it seems harsh. Well, the effing world is harsh. It's a harsh place. And, and demanding that your kid actually learn how to do laundry is not harsh. It's not harsh. A consequence actually being carried through to the end of the consequence. I said if you did this, this was the result. Now you're grounded for a week, meaning actually an entire week without reprisal, without begging their way out of it, without they're so annoying you let them go anyway, just so you, there's that's not harsh. Not listening to something that's important and ended up dead in a street, that's freaking harsh. That's life. It's better you learn with a little harshness what consequences are. We have had a fundamental shift in, in our, our mentality where instead of teaching children the reality of danger, we have attempted to remove danger from our children. You can't do it. So we get a bunch of screwed up people. They don't know how to think. Let's move on to the skills. Because I could go for another hour on this. I just want you to really kind of open up to that. The reason I did this with skills, though, again, is because I think it will cause the interaction to begin. And I want you to understand something about my list of 20 things. It is not the 20 things. Like, you should tick all these boxes. It's not what it is. It is not the, it, as many as there are. I could make this list 200 things long. 
So you're thinking, well, I think kids should learn how to blah, blah, blah. Well, great. Teach them how to do it. But I did try to put some thoughts into it, make it well-rounded, so it wasn't all like, well, you can learn all that in Boy Scouts. I think you might learn most of it in Boy Scouts if you really tried, but, you know, like, obviously you would, or, well, this is like a junior's uh, survivalist training, right? Or this is a permaculture for kids. I, I didn't want it to be like that. I want it to be well-rounded. Because that's what we need, is we need well-rounded kind of the Renaissance man model of thinking anymore. So, Here's some of the things I think that we should instill in our children by age 14. Note that this does not mean that they're masters of it, but they have some level of basic understanding and proficiency with it. The first one is basic economic literacy. Because I see all the time, you're like, I'll see a list on things kids should know how to do. You know, balance a checkbook, be frugal, and they'll be like six things, and like, that's all economic literacy. That's all one thing. That's all one. Yeah, how to balance a checkbook, how to open a banking account. No, basic economic literacy. And it should be, yeah, you should know how to open up a bank account, how a bank account works, the difference between savings in a checking account, a CD, a certificate of deposit. You know, what a stock is. 14, yeah, they can know what it, They don't have to have the ability to do a technical analysis and tell you what a PE ratio is and all, but understanding that when you buy a stock, you're buying a share in a company. And you're an owner in the company, a little tiny piece of ownership, And that you might get something called a dividend, or if the company goes up in value, you can sell your ownership to someone else and get it back. And this is how companies end up with lots of money to leverage to build stuff. You don't think a 14-year-old can understand that? You're not teaching your 14-year-old correctly. Sorry. They should even understand how money is created, so they understand that money's bullshit. It's a figment of the imagination created by governments to control its people. You should explain how money is created. If you don't know, you should learn before you try to explain it. You just say they print money, you don't understand it. And I think a child can understand monetary creation, the entire thing, better than most adults, because most adults have been locked into a belief system for so long, their mind repels it. Henry Ford said, if the people of this nation understood the process of monetary creation, there'd be a revolution tomorrow morning. I can't remember who said the other thing about why we don't. It is so simple that the mind is repelled by it. So it's so simple, your kids can understand it. But your kids should have an understanding of money. Understand of like, money doesn't just show up. You don't just get more money. Mom and dad don't just have money. Mom and dad work for money. This is how we earn money. This is how we have to break up our money into pieces to make sure we don't run out of money. If you do that, Kids immediately become more responsible because they understand it doesn't just show up. And you, what you need to do is put them in charge of their own money and make them manage it. And so, some of that is you might give them more money than you typically would if they were allowed to spend it all, but you force them into saving it. For, you force them into being charitable with it. Teach them what taxes are. However you see fit. Make them do work for money. <clears throat> Now, I think there's a big case for saying there's certain things you do in this house that are, that are chores. They're not, you don't get paid an allowance for them. It's because you live here. But you can come up with other things for them to do above and beyond what you would ask them to do. And those pay a wage. When my son was young, <clears throat> this is how it worked. We started this when he was eight years old, and he made his age every week, $8 a week. When he turned nine, he made $9 a week. But, but he had a certain number of jobs to get done. He had a little booklet, and it listed all his jobs. 
And when he got his jobs done for the week, he got them initialed off by me or Dorothy. At the end of the week, the job wasn't done or initialed off. He owed us what he would have been paid. Got it? It can start going negative real fast. Because it's not like you get $8, but you give back. No, 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 no. Let's say a job paid $2. He didn't do it. So now his pay was $6, but he owes us $2 because we had to do it. So when you don't do a job, you have to pay somebody else to do it. So now he gets $4. So he did a job now that he thinks he didn't get paid for. Well, of course he got paid for it. He just had to give the money back to pay me to do his other job. Basic economic literacy. I think another thing that we don't teach children, because we don't learn it ourselves, by 14 a child should be able to teach what they know to others with confidence. Now, I understand being intimidated. I don't understand it, but I've been told I'm an intimidating person. When I was a sales manager, I had to work really hard for when my salespeople were, when I was working with training them, that they didn't feel intimidated by me. I've never felt like I'm an intimidating person, uh, especially in that instance. So I get that. So if a kid's trying to tell their idol in basketball how to shoot a free throw, I can see them being intimidated. But if you, you or anybody doesn't know how to do something, and they do know how to do it with confidence, they're good at it, they should be able to say, this is how you do this. It may be one of the most valuable life skills they can ever learn. If you can do that, your leadership material in most companies you would ever work for, because most people can't. That alone separates you. When you're able to quickly take some information in, learn how it works, put it into practice, refine it so that it does work for you, verify that it works, and then look at that and go, well, I know how to do this, and say, Tom, this is how you do this. You become infinitely more valuable to a company than, than the average person who works for that company, even, even in the same position. Because within businesses, there's leaders that are there by name and position and title, and there's leaders within the ranks. And the leaders within the ranks actually usually don't rise in a company. What they do is they suck everything they can get from the opportunity. And when they don't get the opportunity to go up, they go elsewhere. And when they go elsewhere, they go up faster. So instead of going one level up, they make a lateral move to another company and go two or three levels up. It's what I did in my career. It's how I did so much so fast. But it was all because I could learn and I could teach. So the way you teach your kids to teach is you teach them how to do something. You get them to do it a couple times. And you say, we're going to play a game. Today you're going to teach daddy how to do that. Well, you know how to do it. But you're going to pretend I don't. You're going to pretend that daddy's a big dum-dum. He's never done this before. But I don't know how it works. Get him to laugh, right? You know? If you got to bribe him a little for this one, it's okay. And, you know, if you do a good job of teaching, we'll go out and grab ice cream, whatever. Get them to teach you. This is a military technique. First time I learned to tie a Swiss seat for rappelling in the military. Guy has me tie it, shows, shows me how to tie it. I, I mimic him, I do it. Take it back off, tie it again. Yeah, you did it right. Okay, teach me how to do it. You teach me how to do it. Okay, I teach you how to I know you know how to do it. I teach you how to do it. Okay, you'll never forget it. I could tie one today. Hadn't done it for years. Why? Teaching increases your retention of knowledge. Teach your kids how to teach. Next, I think every child, I think every person, but by the time you're 14, you should be able to identify the most common edible and dangerous plants where you live. It, 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 it amazes me that people can't do this. 
It really does. Because don't you think that your kids should know if I pick that up and eat it, I can make me sick? So what do parents do? Parents take the, the easy way out. And they say, don't eat nothing, it could hurt you. Well, sooner or later, kids start to wonder. You know. And kids do things to test systems all the time. So kids should know, you, know, you can eat dandelions, but don't eat those. Well, why not? Because a dog's pissed there. Right? Seriously. But if, if you teach your kids that, one, it's a margin of safety. But two, it's, it's also a margin of self-sufficiency. Your kid starts to realize, there's food around me. There's resources that I can use. Even if they never have to rely on them. The apocalypse doesn't come, you know, whatever. They're not living on dandelion roots to save their life. The, the concept of learning that there are resources and tools around you that you can use to solve problems. Think about that. Because what happens to most people today? I'm not going to say kids anymore. I'm not going to say millennials anymore. Because it's like everybody under 60 and some people over 60. You get to a stopping point. I don't have what I need. I can't do it. Oh, my life sucks. I can never get ahead. No understanding. You have resources. You have tools. Just the simple act of learning, hey, that's food and that's dangerous. And they look similar. But that means when I'm looking at a problem, the thing that looks similar to the problem could be the solution to the problem. It starts a pattern recognition in the mind. It amazes me that we don't teach children this. We also don't treat, teach kids anymore how to grow plants and propagate them. Do you understand what a valuable... And I'm not talking about every child growing up and having a backyard nursery, because not everybody's going to have a backyard nursery, because then no one would be able to sell nothing because everybody would have all the plants they could ever want. No, I'm just talking about the, the skill set itself. Grow a garden, sure. But I, choose, I chose to just make it grow plants. You know, if your kid wants to grow petunias, I don't care. To understand that... With the direction of our hands and a little bit of care and a little bit of knowledge, we can take something like a seed and we can create life with it. And we can shepherd it into something edible or something beautiful. And that that thing has needs. And if we don't give it a place where all its needs are met, then it's incumbent upon us to meet those needs or it will die. There's a lesson in life there too. And then the propagation of plants. Like once we have a plant, we can make more plants. And here's different ways we can do that. Because again, it's about problem solving. And it's about thinking about things a different way. So when you look at something, it's, if you you know, just have conversations, like if we wanted to plant 100 trees, and those trees were $20 a piece, economic literacy, how much would that cost? And figure it out. If we don't want to spend that much money, but we could make trees for free, how much would that be worth to us? And then that mentality sinks in that when I'm in a situation, again, where I want something, and it's not like I want it because I'm going to hold my breath because it's the newest iPhone and, and, and Kelsey has one and I'm going to look like a dork if I don't have it. I really want something for my life. We're talking later in life now. Because we don't have to spoil Brad episodes because it's not even, it's not, it's not going to happen. Or when it does, the, the chain gets jerked really short, really fast. But later in life, because the chain never got jerked, It's just, oh, well, it can't happen. Then the person, is, the, the kid that grows up this way, when they're young adults, says, I want a house like that. The first thing they say is, how can I get that to happen? How can I make that happen? What can I do to cause that to happen? And that switches the computer of the mind on. And there's a thousand answers to that question. But most people sit around and think, there's no way I'll ever have enough to have what I want. 
because we don't teach them. Next one, and I cannot emphasize how important it is that you actually know what the hell you're doing before you do this. You know your, chi- you know your child and their capability and their level of thinking and men- mental, uh, you know, mental capacity. But I believe by 14, unless your kids like special needs or something where it's dangerous, the average person by the age of 14 should be able to safely use firearms. I'm talking rifle, shotgun, handgun. And I mean complete use. I mean understanding maintenance. Basic, I don't think they, you know, your, your 12-year-old daughter needs to be able to strip an AR-15 to the bones, right? But basically, you know, removing a bolt, how to basically clean it, how to clean a barrel, how to do that safely, how to check that weapon to make sure that it's safe, how to shoot it safely, proper form, when it's right to use, when it's wrong to use, all of those things. There's, I don't think there's anything that can teach a, 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 any person more responsibility than holding something that can take the life of another person and realizing I could do that right now. I won't, but I could. And I could do it by accident, so I need to keep my shit straight. I started my kid at eight with a BB gun. And I told him, this could put somebody's eye out. This could hurt somebody really bad. It's some weird, one-off, you know, kind of long shot, you could kill somebody with it. Now, to kill somebody with BB gun, you probably have to, like, shoot them so that they fall in front of a car and a car runs them over. But it could still happen. But we started treating that BB gun like it was a 30.06 when he was 8 years old. So when he was 12, and I put a 20-gauge in his hand and threw skeet for him, I had no fear. I had less fear than the first time I shoot with somebody I've never shot before. This is, oh, I've shot guns my whole life. That doesn't necessarily indicate to me that you know what you're doing. I'm really sketchy around a person when we're shooting live ammo the first time until I see how they handle and conduct themselves. I try to get in a situation where you can evaluate that before I do it. But my son, no worries whatsoever. Because I taught him and I knew he knew what to do. And there's so much that this does for you. One, it's very empowering. Two, you will never have a young adult with a victim mentality when they know how to properly operate firearms safely and, and responsibly. They'll never have a victim mentality. With the way the laws have gotten more and more pro-gun over the years, they'll probably, by the time they're legally eligible in your state, have a concealed carry permit. And then they're really not a victim. And you know what? When your 21-year-old daughter goes off to college, you're not going to be worried about her getting raped if you know she's going to put a 38 to somebody's head and put a hole in it the size of a canoe, just to be blunt. And the more daddies bringing their daughters up that way, the less daughters are going to be raped. Because funny thing is, most people don't want somebody to blow a canoe in their head. And just not knowing which random person might do it makes you a hell of a lot more responsible, doesn't it? You know the most polite place I've ever seen in my life? Rifle range. Most polite place you'll ever see. Everybody's polite. Why? Everybody's armed. Now, I don't think there's any kind of a threat implied there. I'm just saying that when, when everybody's armed, everybody's nice. My observation anyway. When potentially anybody could be armed, criminals are a little less apt to go out and victimize somebody. And your kid with proper training might someday save somebody, other, somebody else's kid. So don't just think about it saving your child, but saving someone else's as well. And what it does for them as a, as a young man or a young woman, just as important. I also think we should be teaching our children to use basic hand tools. 
both mechanical and woodworking. This young kid working for me now. It's like the second day he was here. I had to put a starter motor on my lawn tractor. And um, you know, it was a job I could do in five minutes. And I wasn't going to have him do it because I'm paying him to do basically grunt work and wash eggs that I don't want to do, I don't have time to do, or give my wife a break because she went like two years, where she, except when we were on vacation, she didn't go a day without washing and packaging eggs. And that's when I'm like, we're going to get some help, and a couple days a week at least she won't have to do that. So I want him out doing his stuff. But I realized, like, he probably doesn't know. So I'm like, do you, do you, do you, know, how to, you know what a starter motor is? Well, I think it's what starts the car. Well, okay, that's, that's something, right? Like, you know, but he knew nothing. So I get the tools out. I show him a starter motor, explain to him. If it were in a car, it would go in this way. It's in a tractor, so it goes vertically, and it bolts up like this, and it engages the motor. And all. So, like, he understands. Like, he's smart enough to didn't know, but when he explained it, he can understand what I'm talking about, how it works. This engages the flywheel. The flywheel turns. That turns the motor over. Spark hits it. Boom. Yeah, he's getting it. So, like, we got to get these two bolts out, you know? But before we take these two bolts out to hold it in, we got to disconnect the battery. Okay. So... If you disconnect, you know, you disconnect the negative terminal off the battery, you remove the ground, no electricity goes through, so you won't get zapped. Okay, now he's scared because he heard zapped. So I get, I, I look at the battery, and my first instinct is, oh, it's a 716 inch socket. Grab a 17 inch socket, boom, and I, start, and I, oh wait, here you do it. He didn't know what a ratchet was. He didn't know how a ratchet worked. He started turning it, figured it out pretty quick. But you know, how when you get a, a bolt really, really loose. The ratchet will not ratchet anymore. Like, you'll turn it, and the bolt's just going back and forth, back and forth, because it's so loose, and you got to hold the the, 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 the the socket itself while you're ratcheting it, or stop ratcheting and use your finger. Couldn't figure it out. Had to explain it. 17. Growing up in Texas. I've seen his dad. His dad looks like he you know, can at least know his way around a garage or something to me. I'm not sure, but I, I think he could. Just never was taught. So... When I say hand tools, I'm talking about mechanical and like woodworking tools. How do you use a crosscut saw? You know how I learned how to use a crosscut saw? I wanted to build a ramp for my bicycle when I was like nine years old. And I was at my grandparents, and they were building new houses in the neighborhood. And I went to all the scrap wood piles and asked the guys who were working, hey, can I get some wood here? Like anything in those piles you can have. Woohoo. So I'm carrying this shit home, find a piece of plywood big enough to make a ramp, have to carry it like five feet and stop because it's so freaking heavy and I'm so freaking little. Finally get it home. Realize the next time you do it, dude, take your bike and put it on the bike and push it. Get it all together. Some of the two by fours are too long. I'm making this weird ass ramp with like just stack two by fours. And some of them are too long. You get the old man saw down off the thing, you start trying to saw, you can't saw worth a shit. Out there frustrated as hell, the old man comes out, looks at it, says, Let me show you how to do that. Shows me how a hand saw works. Cuts right through it like butter. I go to do it again. I suck, but I'm better. Frustrated, sweating, but I get it all cut, I get it nailed up. I put it up there, I step on it, it's like bends. Oh, you got to make a support. Well, we'll just do this again and put it closer. All of a sudden, I got a ramp, I'm making jumps, busting my ass. But I figured it out because I had the opportunity to. These kids don't even have the opportunity to now. We wrap them in bubble wrap before they can get on a bicycle, let alone let them build a ramp and jump off of it. We got to teach them, we got to give them away. You know what? And making a Pinewood Derby car when you're a Cub Scout, it's a fine thing. But it doesn't really teach you how to use tools, especially when dad does the build for the kid. It's not the same as cutting a two by four. Hammering a nail in, using a chisel. I'm not saying a kid should be able to make a, a, a beautiful cabinet with dovetail joints by the time they're 14, unless they have an aptitude for it. 
But these basic uses of the tools they should know how to do. They should be able to hammer a nail without looking like they're having a seizure. Okay, to be blunt. Like, to understand how the hammer works and how the blow transfers through. Be able to put a nail into a board. The reason you can't get that nail in is because the piece that you're, you're hammering isn't against something solid, and it's moving the piece. The nail's not being able to move into it. Things like that. The next one is basic power tools. And you got to really be careful here because you can get hurt. You can cut a thumb off. I've seen grown adults do it. So you got to know your child, know your own abilities. But, you know, a circular saw, a drill press, a jigsaw, a sander, things like that, a power drill. This, this same kid, a bunch of stuff from when we tore the old aviary down, and it's got hardware cloth in it, a lot of real expensive screws. So we're going to burn the wood, separate the hardware cloth off, and throw it away so nobody gets cut on it, and you got to take these screws out. And, and seeing this kid work a, a, a screw gun, holy crap. I mean, really, it's not his fault. No one ever taught him how to do it. It took him like four hours to really understand how to get just get your hand tension right when you're driving or removing a screw. You know, some screws have different heads than others. This is a Torx. This is a Phillips. If you try to use the Torx bit on a Phillips screw, it's not going to work. It doesn't care that you want it to. Kids should learn how to use basic power tools. You know, like I said, when I was in school, at least for boys and a few girls, everybody took wood shop. And by like sixth grade, you had like your first wood shop. It was pretty low end, but we, you know, you made your spice rack or whatever. You learned how to use a joiner and a router. Most kids today can't change a tire. Most, most 20-somethings can't change a tire. They have no idea how. You should be able to do these things. I left automotive stuff out of this because you get your license at 16. I figure if you teach all of them all this shit by 14, you got two more years to teach them all about cars, changing tires and stuff. And a lot of kids at 14 especially girls and, and younger, you know, smaller frame boys, have a hard time breaking a lug nut or whatever. You can still teach them how to do it with mechanical advantage, right? But, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some bonuses in here. You know, changing a tire, how to do an oil change, even if they don't ever do it, just how, why, you know, how a car works, all that stuff. But I'll give you 14 to 16 to get that in. Um, the next one, cook. By 14, kids should be able to cook. This does not mean make Kraft macaroni and cheese. That's, if a kid can make Kraft macaroni and cheese when they're seven, I'm impressed. A little bit. Right? They can make ramen noodles or heat up, you know, open a can and dump chicken soup and then add a can of water and get it hot and put it in a bowl and eat it or do it in a microwave. Okay, fine. There's a place for that. You need to know how to do that too. But that's not cooking. That's heating shit up. You know? Instant shit out of a box. That's not cooking. That's heating shit up in an order. Following directions. Add a cup of water. Stir in the powdered nasty stuff. That's not cooking. What I mean by cooking is they can open up a refrigerator. Say there's a, there's a meat I could use for this. There's some vegetables. There's a starch. And cook. Knife skills included. Cut it up. Season it. Oh, Jack, they're only little. They're only Fourteen. Fourteen? I'll tell you what, Patrick Roman MTMT Knives, I saw his daughter. I don't remember which one because he's got too many damn kids. I can't ever remember them. She was so little she couldn't see the top of the, the stove at Permeito's farm, and we needed a bunch of uh, sloppy joes made up. She pulled out a, a, a cast iron skillet so big I didn't believe she could lift it, hurled it up on top of the stove, 
drug a chair over so she could stand on it and cook sloppy joes for 40 people. I don't remember exactly what her age was, but it damn well wasn't 14. So yes, 14. You should be able to cook a meal. You don't have to be a gourmet cook. You don't have to be Chef Keith Snow, right? You don't have to do all the crazy crap I talk about doing, but you should be able to cook. And that way, if your kid wants something specific that nobody else wants, go to the store with you, because he ain't old enough to drive yet, you can get the stuff for him and he can cook it for himself. Decide if he likes it or not. And that way when they move out, they're not going to live off of fast food and blow all their money on garbage. You, cooking is such an incredibly important skill to life, because you're going to eat every day. I also think, I loved hunting out. Just, just, just chose to today, right? Because not everybody's going to want to hunt. But I think everybody should learn how to catch fish in their local area. I don't say you have to be a fisherman. But be able with you know, a, a handful of items to identify what fish are available, where you can find them, where they're publicly accessible, and go out and catch a few. They don't have to be big. They don't have to be trophies. You don't need a boat, but be able to catch fish. If they don't like fishing and they don't want to do it for the rest of their life, fine. Once you're proficient, you're proficient. Now you know it exists. Now you know it can be done. We're back to the same thing with edible plants. First of all, there's a confidence now. I can put meat and vegetables into my body off the land here. Well, that means I can do it anywhere. But it's also, there's a tool. And there's a thing about a fish. A fish isn't like, you know, a teacher or a coach that wants you to succeed. That goes out of its way to make you feel good. You either catch the fish or you don't. You either do what's right, you get the fish to bite, you set the hook, you do everything right, you get the fish out of the water, or the fish says, F you, and he, he swims away, and you don't get the fish. It's a hard, concrete metaphor for life. And I think it's a skill that everyone should have. The next one is, by 14, a child should be able to argue a point with basic logic. That doesn't mean that they're a master debater, okay? That doesn't mean that they're ready to step up and be a prosecuting attorney or a defense attorney or be the president of the debate club. But it does mean when they say, well, I want this, and you say no, they shouldn't be, the response shouldn't be, that's not fair. Even if you're still told no, the response should be, well, here's why I believe that I should be able to have this. And you should be able to say, and here's why you can't. But if you really want it, good points you made there, you go figure out how to acquire it for yourself. Or here's the point at which I'm willing to concede and give it in to you, or whatever. And it's not always about you either. When they're arguing with their friends, they should be able to have a clear, coherent, logical argument. When they're arguing with a teacher, they should be able to have a clear, coherent, logical argument. The reason I think that's wrong is because. And then facts come out. And then those facts are either accurate or they're inaccurate and the person they're talking to can point out the inaccuracies and they should be able to logically evaluate that response and accept when they're wrong. I, I, I haven't met many people in their early 20s that can, that can form a logical argument about something. Especially when you challenge any single belief they have about it. Because you realize they don't have a belief. They have a programming. And if you teach them to have logical arguments... Logical responses, logical evaluations, logical examinations of things, they won't be programmed because they'll start questioning their programming. You don't even have to tell them it's programming. 
You just teach them how to logically think things through, how to logically deconstruct things. They'll figure out the rest for themselves. The next one, how to do laundry. And I mean the whole process. It was funny because my wife didn't know what I was talking about today, and I was getting ready to come in here and start recording, and she said, well, I'm fixing to you know, try to get Tegan down for a nap, and then because Bray, Braylon and Tegan are both here today, and then uh, Braylon and I are going to fold all the laundry. Good. Guess what I'm talking about today? And I told her, but I mean the whole process. He's five. We'll get there. But when, when people tell me, yeah, my kid can do laundry, I often say, well, really? So if the clothes are laying on the floor in a crumpled ball, and you're not going to do laundry, and your, your spouse isn't going to do laundry, and that kid needs clothes tomorrow morning that look good, that are completely done, do they know how to do it all the way? Well, no, what I mean is they know how to throw them in the washing machine, turn the washing machine on. So the whole pull them out of the washing machine, get them into the dryer, that's where they've fallen down on their, their capability, you know? you know? Or, well, I fold them for them. By 14, they should be able to iron, not just fold. This is a life skill. We have, we have people that are 30 years old putting on Twitter, I did laundry today, hashtag adulting. What? 30? Are you freaking kidding me? Are you freaking kidding me? We should be ashamed of ourselves for that 30. We should be picking on them. How the hell does a person get to 30 and think they're finally adulting because they figured out how to do laundry? Now, I notice some people that joke about it. My buddy and me, we have started to say it once in a while as a complete joke. But I'm telling you, I thought it was a joke, and I found out it was real, and I was ready to flip my shit. How the hell can you not know how to do laundry at 30? How the hell can you think you deserve special recognition for doing it? I mean, I, whatever, man. Laundry, definitely. Self-directed learning. I think you should give your kids assignments, because school won't, and say, I want to know something you want to know more about. The, you know, you don't know a lot about yet. I don't know. Well, you better think of something. You know, you better think of something. Because if you don't, I'm going to think of something for you to do that you don't want to do. I'm going to give you extra chores. You want to do extra chores, you can. But when you pick a topic you want to know more about, you let me know. Watch them shit a topic fast. Okay? Then you say, here's what I want you to do. I don't care how you bring it back. I don't care if it's written. I don't care if it's oral. I don't care what it is. But I want you to come back. And I want you to tell me, at least 20 things that you don't know yet about this thing. How do I find out? I don't know. It's up to you, man. By the time they're old enough to do that, they know how the Internet works. You know, don't do this to a kid that can't read yet. I wouldn't do this, you know, or just learning. I wouldn't do this to Braille and he's five, right, or six. Actually, just turned six in kindergarten. By the time he's in second grade, I'll totally do this to him. Like, I know you can read well enough now, type well enough now to go on Google and find out information, to read books, to whatever. So you go you go find 20 things about this. You bring me those 20 things back. When? Soon. Sooner the better, right? Set a reasonable timeline. Well, when do I have to work on it? I don't, I don't know. It's due Tuesday. You know, you, should, you shouldn't be sad about this. You want to know more. That's what it has to be like. Don't assign them something. Make them pick something. Well, I don't like this. I'll tell you what, you have five minutes to come up with a different topic. And then do it again, and do it again, and do it again, and do it again, and do it again. And if it's an advanced topic, and they say, well, can I do more on the same topic? Sure. If it's how to make Kraft macaroni and cheese, I think you get to do that once. 
Okay, and I don't think you can come up with 20 things that you didn't know about how to do that. So maybe that one that we don't get to do at all. But definitely self-directed learning. Next one I think we should teach kids how to do, how to train a dog. I don't mean how to give a dog that's already trained commands. commands. I mean how to train a dog. And if, you know, if your dog is at an age where it's already been trained, you might have to do a little work on this one. You know, you might have to talk to someone that does dog training for a living. Like the little classes people come in, can my kids sit in on one of these trainings? Train somebody's dog. Why? Oh. How many times in your life do you have to tell a kid or were you told by your parents, you have to do this or you have to not do this because I say so? Why? And even if you try to explain, you can't really, the kid is not yet able to appreciate the grand reality of why. Even when they're old enough that they really should be able to, they don't. Because children, when I say children now, I'm talking you know, early 20s, late teens, have a capacity for risk that exceeds reality. You start teaching them how to train a dog, they learn about discipline. And they learn that when you tell that dog to stay, you mean stay. And when a dog doesn't stay, you don't offer the dog a treat to get it to stay. You jerk the chain and say, stay. When you say sit, the dog doesn't sit. You put your hand on its butt and you push the butt down until the dog sits. And you force compliance with the dog. And you can start having a conversation. Why do you think we're so tough on a dog? And think about this. You're the dog's master first and his friend second. And why? Because if we go somewhere and there's a dangerous situation that dog runs into, it's going to be aggressive and bite somebody, it's going to end up being put down. Or it's going to run out of the street and get run over. And I say, stay. That dog needs to stay now. He doesn't understand the consequence of the action. I do. So it's my responsibility, because I love the animal, to train it so that it listens to what I tell it to, so that I can use my wisdom to protect it. And that's why when I tell you to do something, you don't do it, I grab you by the ear and make you do it. And that's why when you grow up, you're going to do the same thing. It's not because I don't love you. It's not because you're not my friend, but I'm your dad or your mom first, your friend second. You got all kinds of friends in this world. You got one set of parents. This dog has one person that's really looking out for him. And what I mean we train dogs exactly like we train children, but the philosophy is the same. There are consequences that you cannot yet conceive of to things that you might do. And when my advice is not to do them, You need to listen, even if you don't yet understand why. The same way this dog needs to listen. He doesn't understand. He doesn't comprehend. I don't care what Disney showed you on TV. They don't have conversations with each other. You know, They're dogs. They have limits to their capacity. We've brought them out of their natural habitat, brought them into ours where we have cars and laws and rules and regulations, and there's severe consequences for a dog doesn't follow them. The dog doesn't know what they are. We must teach them. Just as young children don't fully understand that when they do something that doesn't seem like that big a deal, it might cause a whole chain reaction and cause a lot of problems for them or harm for other people. And then maybe they'll understand why you're tough once in a while a little bit more. I learned a lot from learning how to train dogs. Next thing, basic self-defense. Notice I didn't say how to fight. There's some level of that to this, but basic self-defense. Because to me, basic self-defense is a lot of things. One, yeah, I think every kid should take, take at least a year of martial arts. Because you know what's going to happen? Number one, they're going to learn discipline. And they're going to learn it from a third party. You will still be a prophet in your own country no matter how good you are as a parent. And they will only listen to you so much. 
But when they're told by their sensei to come to attention, they're going to come to attention. They're going to do push-ups on their knuckles, one or the other, real fast. And they will comply, and they'll learn some discipline. They'll learn camaraderie. Because within their dojo, or whatever they call their school, they'll be part of a group that looks out for each other. But they'll also learn reality. Because when they say you're sparring Tommy, him and Tommy might be friends, right, all the time. But when they're sparring, if he does the wrong thing, Tommy's going to punch him in the face. He's not really going to get hurt, but he's going to get punched in the face. He's not going to be able to say, I want to do over. No, the point scored against you. He got the arm bar and you submitted. You know, you were taken to the mat and you were pinned. You got the third point, you lost. And you got punched in the face. And it's okay for little girls to get punched in the face like that too. By other little girls. Or appropriately, I, I, in some schools, I think you, you see male and female matchups that you know, when they're really little, they're not going to hurt each other. Sometimes the little girls kick their asses too. It's kind of empowering. But most people don't really even know how to defend themselves. I, I've been amazed when I've, when I've like, talked to people and they ask me about Sistema and I tell them, well, look, I'll show you how to throw a punch with Sistema. And I assume they know how to throw a punch. You put your hand up like a boxing and say, well, punch my hand. And they punch you and you go, no, no, seriously. You're not going to hurt my hand. Punch my hand. like Because you want to show the difference. So you want them to actually have something to compare it to. And they can't punch. You're a 25-year-old guy and you can't throw a punch. And a big guy. You're like a guy that looks like he could, he could take, handle himself. And you don't know how to throw a punch. You should not know how to throw a punch. You should not block. But, but the reason I say self-defense is not just fight. Because self-defense is, 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 is 90% mental and 10% physical. 90% is avoiding the conflict in the first place. The escalation. That's why I like martial arts instructors. Good ones anyway. They focus on that. What you learn here is to be used in defense. Or in training. Or in sport. If you use it any other way, you're wrong. And that's why you don't see a lot of martial artists fighting with each other on the street. You see them in rings. And in tournaments. So basic self-defense. Next, basic entrepreneurial thinking. I'm seeing more and more parents start to do this, and I'm very, very encouraged by it. But you should be encouraging kids to think about, how can I leverage something? How can I make money rather than just get a job? You know, the whole lemonade stand thing has been way overdone, but there are ways that kids can make money. And this can be bigger than just a straight business thing. It can also just be a way of thinking that's different. <clears throat> My buddy David has to deal with his kid. I don't know the full details of it, but it's something to this effect. Kid had money, you know, some money saved up, and David doesn't need his money, right? But David has him loan his dad money. So you know, he gives him $20 with an interest rate, and it's due back, you know, I would say over 90 days. And I, I don't know what the interest rate is. Let's say he's going to get $25 back in 90 days. Well, if he decides he wants his money back early, he can have it back early, but he loses the interest that he would have had if he waited. And if he takes a piece of it, he loses the interest that he would have had on that piece of it. And he has to figure it out and know what the answer is before he asks for his money back. You, you, you think he's going to think a little bit differently about money and leveraging money? I have so many people that say to me, I have some money to invest. Really? Well, how much? $10,000. What should I do with it? You, you should save it. Now, what I'm really thinking is go do something with it. Because putting $10,000 in the stock market or whatever, if that's all you've got, you don't even need to worry about it yet. Right now, preserve the money, but 
you should be able to figure out what to do with some portion of it to make more money than you'll ever make in a CD or even if you pick the best stock you're going to pick this year, you should be able to make more money with it. Go buy a car and flip it. Not into a ditch, you know. Buy a car that needs a few things, fix it up and flip it. The worst thing that's going to happen is you'll break even and you'll learn a lot to do it that way again if you're halfway smart about it. Go find something that you can do to earn money. You know, I mean, there's the one kid in this audience, guy wrote in, his kid started a business picking up poop, dog poop. I talked about it here. I said, people are making $100,000 a year picking up dog shit. I saw a guy the other day driving around in a beautiful truck. And you can tell it's like not the only truck. It's like they have a franchise here now picking up dog shit. What is this kid? He's like 12 in Jacksonville, Florida, picking up dog shit. Did such a good job. Mike Rowe even uh, mentioned him on his uh, Facebook channel. If that kid can do it, then anybody can do it. Your kid can do it. I'm not saying a kid should go pick up dog shit. Maybe you don't want to do that. Go do something. Figure something out. Some way to leverage things and make money. Um, I did things like I found out what cinnamon toothpicks really were. It was like the cinnamon-flavored oil soaked in toothpicks. And the kids were paying a quarter for 10 of them in a little package. So when I saw that, I could get like 500 toothpicks for like a dollar. And the cinnamon oil wasn't much. I started making bundles of these things. And I was selling them at school. I had like a bundle of 25 with a, a, not a, not a zip tie, like a, a twist tie on it. And I was, I was selling those for like, I don't know, it was like 20 cents or something like that. Not a lot of money you're not going to get, but it was a mentality. Like, oh, look, this is easy. This is, this is be stupid not to do this. My toothpicks were better because they're nice big round ones than the stupid little flat ones. I mean, I think one of the things the 80s boys had was baseball cards in a totally different way than they have them now. Now they're all shiny and they're expensive when you buy them and they're not really worth as much as they used to be when you get the right, the special ones or whatever. But back in the day, you know, you could go out and you could buy a pack of, I think it was like 25 baseball cards for 30 cents. And they might all be worth shit, but there might be one in there worth a dollar. And if you saved them up and kept them organized, we used to do trades. You could go in and do trades, and you could leverage them, and you could get different cards. And, you know, there was all types of things you could do. Then you could get a whole set. You could take the whole set down to the store, and you could actually sell the whole set. And the worthless ones became worth something. And it was just that kind of a mentality that, that I think we've lost. And I think part of it is because kids go do something, and the first thing adults do is shut them down. We've all heard of the cops shutting down a lemonade stand, stuff like that. So what incentive is there to do when somebody's going to shut you down? Well, you got to figure out how to do it without getting shut down. And if you get a 14-year-old with a business accepting, you know, ether, then you really got something. But entrepreneurial thinking. It's not necessarily having a business, but thinking like an entrepreneur. Because entrepreneurs just think differently. Well, what could I do with that? You might actually say, well, I could do that, but it's not worth the risk. or it's not. But you evaluate it before you write it off. Okay, next one, how to use a shovel, a hoe, a pick, and a rake. Do you know there's actually a skill to using a shovel? And if you grew up with a shovel in your hand like I did, you don't know that there's a skill to using a shovel. You think a shovel is just a tool like any tool that everybody knows how to use. But I, having had, and I don't want anybody to take this wrong because a lot of you have been here, but having run workshops where we were using shovels and watching grown men from this audience use shovels, there's at least a few of you that don't know how to use a shovel. 
and having kids work for me in construction, oh my God. Oh my God, are there people that don't use a shovel? There's a skill to use a shovel with digging, with, with, you know, where to put, if you're digging a trench, you don't throw dirt, right? You put it on the side, one side of the trench so it can go right back in the trench where the trench gets filled in. If you're, if you're throwing dirt with a shovel, there's a skill. I remember showing this one kid, he thought I was like some kind of ninja or something, because I had you know, like a shovel full of dirt, and we were throwing it, and it was like a, a spot in behind the thing, and I kind of threw it, like curved it around, and it dropped right where I said it would. Like, it's a shovel, it's easy. It's designed to do this. A rake, you get a person a rake, and you think, well, you know, rake that dirt, and they look like, I don't know. Like, what, if I said it, I'd offend you what I think they look like, Right? You know, a leaf rake, usually they can work out, but a regular rake moving dirt, a hoe, you know, there's a place for chopping with a hoe, there's a place for pulling with a hoe, but chopping with a hoe with the point down, unless you know why you're doing what are you what are you doing? And a pick, oh my God. I see some people use a pick, I think they're going to kill themselves, they put a hole in their foot. So again, you got to know your kid and their capabilities, especially with a pick. But there's a technique to using a pick, and there's a place and point where you use a pick, or a mattock, Right? These things, you should know how to use the basic thing. At least the shovel, the rake, and the hoe. Maybe hold off on the pick if the kid's not ready for it yet because you can seriously hurt yourself. But if you learn to use the other three, eventually you'll be able to learn to use a pick. Kids by 14 should know how to start a fire, keep it safe, put it out properly. I mean, and parents are like terrified when kids play with fire. I played with fire all the time when I was a kid. We never burnt nothing down. But, I mean, that's a basic life skill. I won't say much on that one because this audience, you know, it's a basic thing. But there's, I, I've been places where grown men can't start a fire. It was at a picnic, uh, like a church. No, it wasn't really a picnic. It was like a church thing. They were doing like an outdoor movie night where they bring like a giant projector and a guy brings a thing and shows movies for the kids and the parents hang out, you know, that type of thing. And it was getting pretty cold. And they had a big metal drum, a 55-gallon drum. They're going to build a fire in it. So people would stand around a fire and get warm, and they thought it would be cool. And they got a whole bunch of wood and stuff, and big wood, little wood, branches, everything they need to make a fire. And there's like four guys standing around trying to make a fire. Now, to be fair, it wasn't the best wood, and it was a little bit damp. But there was nothing there actually preventing the making of a fire other than the lack of knowledge, right? So I go over, and I don't want to take over anybody's thing or whatever, but I just start looking at it. And the one guy says, you know what I'll do? I'll go to the store and get one of those fire locks. I'm talking there's like three or four guys here that are like in their 30s and 40s. Think about this, you know. I don't say anything, but once once everybody gives up, I just start, you know, breaking up little bits of kindling. And, oh, there's some, we can make that kind of feathery. And I get it all set up. And I says, dude, hey, you got a, you got a lighter, right? I'm not going to sit there with my flint, trying to light it with a flint. Um, especially, and I also kind of wanted to draw attention to the fire is about to happen. So he hands me a lighter, and I in there, and a little flame starts coming up. And I start blowing on it. It starts smoldering a bit. And he says, "Yeah, it's, that wood's just not going to take." I just blow a little bit more. It starts coming up. Start adding a little more twigs, and then <laughs> dude gets back with his fire log, and he looks like somebody you know popped his balloon. Why? No one taught him how to build a fire. Mind you, this is Texas. You know, this isn't Long Island or something like that. This isn't Hartford, Connecticut. This is Texas. Can't build a fire. 30 years old, can't build a fire. Your kids should be able to build a fire by the time they're 14. You don't have to build a fire, learn. You don't have to be safe, learn. And then teach your kid how to do it. 
And, and I'd say kids can, I've had kids eight years old building fires. And they learn really, really quick, and you got to teach them safety. And the one thing you got going for you with a kid that's eight, they're afraid to get hurt. Right? Sometimes you have to work to overcome that. But when you tell them how to be safe, they listen because they don't want to get burnt. Most of them, anyway. Again, you got to know your child and all of this stuff. If you don't think your kid's ready for something, don't do it. But make sure it's not them that's not ready, that it's them that's not ready, not you that's not ready. Um, the next one, repair and maintain a bicycle. Your kid's going to have a bicycle. You might as well know how to fix a flat in it. Dad, will you fix my tire? No, but I'll help you do it. You see? My handlebars are turned sideways. Well, let's get a wrench out, and I'll show you how to fix it. It's not pedaling right. Um, does it need to be lubed? Is the chain not tensioned right? I mean, a bicycle is one of the easiest machines to maintain, to work on, to fix, to repair, to modify that, that, that exists. And most people can't work one. Can't fix a flat on a bicycle. I mean, it's not hard. So teach them how to do that. Again, it's a piece of equipment that most children are going to own and use. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but every child by 14 should be able to ride a bicycle. And I'm realizing right now that maybe there's more and more places where that's not happening because kids don't have a place to ride a bicycle. That makes me sad. If that's your kid, find a place where that kid can ride a bike. Teach him to ride a bike and teach him to maintain it. They should also know basic first aid. I think 14 is old enough to be able to do CPR. But I'm not even saying, you know, just like that cut, really you should go to the doctor. That cut, we can put a Band-Aid on it. That kind of thing. Like, we got to clean that out. We can't just put a Band-Aid on that. It's going to get infected. You know, someone falls and gets hurt. When it's okay to pick them up, when it's not. Basic first aid. And that's something you can do together. You can go to Red Cross and take a basic first aid class for free. And I think kids like it when their parents go to a class with them. And if you know everything, if you're smarter than the instructor, pretend you're dumb. Sit right there and suck the information in just like fake it. You can pretend to be stupid. It's easy. Keep your mouth shut. Hold your mouth at a slight gape and stare blankly at the person talking. You'll look dumb. Your kid will think, Dad doesn't know this. He's learning too. Mom doesn't know this. She's learning too. And they'll be interested in learning with you. Tell them, I bet you can't beat Mommy or Daddy on the final test. If they tie you, because you get it all right, it's not that hard. You know, tell them they did good. If they get close, tell them they did good. As long as they pass, they do good. But basic first aid. And the last one, it's going to sound out of left field here, but safely use a ladder. The things I've seen people do with ladders, I'm like, how are you not dead? Another story recently, just buddy of mine, David, yeah. He comes over to the house last weekend. Last weekend, yeah, last the weekend before this workshop. And he said, I might have seen somebody just die. So what happened? He said, there was a guy, an older guy probably early 60s at Home Depot, he climbed like way up on one of the uh, shelves to try to get something off the top of it, fell backwards and cracked his skull and blood everywhere. Again, I'm going to tell you this. Life has consequences. You know, and, and what would society say if this started happening more? You should have to wear helmets when you go to Home Depot. Not we should teach people not to climb the shelves, right? Or to get a proper tool. Because I can understand someone climbing to get a, something from Home Depot when it says, "Put, you know, please ask staff for help on top shelves. Well, the staff never shows up. So the problem solving kicks in. I'll get that down. But climbing, a sh I mean, come on. 
You're relying on the same people that won't show up to have everything on that shelf stable enough that you can climb on it. Not a good idea. Life has consequences. So if a person knows how to use a ladder safely, practice basic first aid, repair and maintain a bicycle, start a fire, keep it safe to put it out, use a shovel, a hoe, a pick, and a rake, has basic entrepreneurial thinking, basic self-defense, knows how to train a dog, has self-directed learning capability, knows how to do laundry, is able to argue a point with basic logic, catch fish that are local in their area, cook, and that doesn't mean making macaroni and cheese from Kraft Blue Box, use basic power and hand tools, safely use firearms, grow and propagate plants, be able to identify edible and dangerous plants in their area, be able to teach what they know to others with confidence, and possess basic economic literacy, I think they're going to be all right, especially if they can do all that by the time they're 14. And you know what? There's no reason that they can't. There's no, there's, there's no, unless a person has some sort of mental deficiency or so, some sort of physical deficiency that's not able to be overcome. And boy, when I've seen some people do with, with serious deficiencies, it better be real before I give you a pass on it. There's no reason there's anyone that can't be able to do that. None. All of the information is available. There's resources available. If you don't know how to do it, learn how to do it. And my final thoughts, if you don't like my list, add, subtract, append, and make your own. If you're someone who listens to this show, even though it's a survival podcast and you just don't want guns in your home, I don't agree with you, but I respect your rights. You don't want to teach your kids about guns? I respect your rights, even though I think you're wrong. Fine, take that off the list, but replace it with something. Set standards for your children. Son of a bitch, they just might meet them. You know, I used to tell salespeople this. If you ask the customer for their money, they just might flip and give it to you. Well, if you set a goal for your child, a reasonable goal, and give them some incentive to get there, they just might achieve it. Now, I want to, I want to frame this because a lot of you are thinking, I can do all that stuff. My kids will grow up being able to do all that stuff. How many people do you think, if we randomly pulled 100 people off the streets of any major city today, and said the only criteria is their age be 20 to 30. What percent of people could do all of the things on my list? Some of you are going, it's got to be a couple, three, five, maybe ten, depending on what city, right? This is where it gets scary. How many of them could do ten of the, of the 20? Maybe half? Maybe? Maybe. These are all things that you could be able to do by the age you're 14. Well, if you're spending your time when you're 25 learning how to use a hammer, how much did you lose with what that knowledge could have done for you between 14 and 25? Or how to cook? I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with not knowing every... I'm going to be a lifelong student, lifelong student of cooking. I love cooking. You don't, have to, you don't have to be a lifelong student of cooking, but you should be able to basically cook for yourself, know some basic techniques... And most people don't have any of this shit. It's been it's been like selectively bred out. It's not only selective breeding, it's selectively programmed out of us. Guess what? The people in charge of this country, they don't want people that can do all this stuff. If they did, how easy would it be to put every single one of these maybe leaving out um, guns into school? That by the time a kid got out of junior high and went to high school, he could do all this shit. It's not that hard. Even if it was an academic understanding of it. So why don't they have it? 
Why don't they have it? Why are they spending so much time teaching your kids shit they're never going to use? Why? Because it, it justifies the time that it takes, it justifies the money that it takes, and it produces the product they're looking for. Willing, compliant drones. The people you see around you that you shake your head at, they're not some accident. This is what the people in power want. They want compliancy. They want complacency. They want people who are easily led. They want people to stick their hand out and ask for shit. They want people to go out and get shit. They need like 10% of us to be like this. That's what they need. The 10% of us, we either pay the bill for or employ the other 90. That's, what, that's, that's who can do all this shit. People that are capable of being that. I don't know that it'll ever be bigger than 10 or 20%. But I'll tell you what, if you're a parent, you want your kids in that number. You want them in that number. And it's your job to get them there. And if you're not there, it's your job to get yourself there so you can get them there. Or at least get yourself close so you can push them over the edge and they can get themselves there. You know that whole, I want my kids to have it better than I did? Well, they make it a little bit rougher than it was for you. In most instances, anyway. Those are my thoughts. With that, if you like this show and you want to support the work that we do, one way you can do that is by doing your Amazon shopping at tspaz.com. Just go to tspaz.com, and you can click the link there to see the Amazon deals of the day and shop for anything at all on Amazon. When you do that, because we're an affiliate, we get paid for anything you buy off of our website. The main thing we do there, though, is we review items for you every day. So there's another link. It says click to see uh, all of our reviews, and you can see all the stuff we've reviewed going back all the way to, like, June of last year at this point. We're almost a year into this. Um, and today I have a cool product for you. It's uh, made by a company called Amo, and it's Bluetech, Bluetooth magnetic headphones. Guys, I'm old school. I've held out for so long uh, with the old school plug your headphones into your phone. Remember plugging my headphones into my iPhone or my iPad, iPod, right? I remember plugging my earphones into my MP3 player, my Zen Creative MP3 player. I remember plugging my earphones into my Walkman. I remember plugging earphones into a transistor radio before I could afford a Walkman. That's how old school I am. Um, but I recently got a new iPhone 7. And I was talking to my son, and I was, I was bitching like a kid, right, about how the one thing I didn't like is they went to lightning cable only. And you had to have their special headphones or the little adapter they give you. If you lose your adapter and your headphones, you can't just grab another. He's like, why are you using headphones like that anyway? So why don't you get some Bluetooth ones? I'm like, I don't know, because they're great, you know. He shows me his, and they look pretty junky. He's like, I buy mine at Five Below. I lose them all the time. So I'm like, I want something good. So I went on Amazon, and I started doing some research. And this is what I wanted. I wanted a set that had the magnetics, so when you put them around your neck, you put them up in your ears, you're listening, when you take them off, they stick together, they don't fall off, you throw them inside your shirt, you want with your life, you don't lose them. That was my solution, lose them. I wanted a really good quality microphone. Not just when I'm talking to somebody I sound good, but I realized right away, hey, you do all your video with your phone, dummy. If you have your Bluetooth microphone hooked up to it with your headphones, when you talk, you have a wireless microphone for your phone. That replaces like a $200 or more wireless actual dedicated microphone. And if you had your phone to Dorothy, you just hang them down so that you know maybe you don't want them showing. Uh, it's also you know they're they're on and, and active. Then you have a wireless mic that even when somebody's you know 10 feet away because they work up to, to 10 meters, 30 feet. You know I'm not going to be filming myself from more than 30 feet away with a phone. You can hear dead crystal clear. 
So it did that for me too. I thought that was awesome. So some of you content creators might like that. Good battery life. Uh, they have about eight hours of continuous use and like it's some stupid like 240 hours of standby and good value. Because the you know my kids like he's buying the five dollar ones for five below. They they look like that. And there's a lot of stuff that's like mid price stuff. And then there's stuff like I know some of you are like audio freaks and you'll spend you know. $300 on a set of headphones, I'm not freaking... First of all, I'm sooner or later I'm going to lose them or break them. I'm not doing that. Uh, these are like $36. Bucks. $36 bucks. on sale. They're normally $80. Bucks. Um, I'll be honest with you. Don't let that fool you when you see the price. They were on sale when I bought them two weeks ago. Okay? Uh, they seem like one of these items that are perpetually on sale with air clothes around it. But great deal, great value. If they were $50, bucks, they would be worth it. They are just outstanding set a Bluetooth headphone. So if you're in the market for them, consider them. And again, those of you guys that do uh, YouTube videos with your phones, it, it don't matter what you get, even if it's a cheap one from Fly Below like my kid uses, just think about the fact that you could be using that microphone and have much better audio quality. And when you're making video, audio quality is everything. Because I don't know how many times you watch a video where you hear like wind noise and like you can't really hear and it's static, you know, and you just give up. You're like, I, I like the content, but I can't, I can't do this. Um, and it doesn't have to be perfect audio quality, but some level of audio quality, absolutely what you want uh, in, in a situation like this. Okay, last but not least, let's talk about Song of the Day. Um, today's Song of the Day is a great song. And like I said, American Pie came out this year, and uh, I thought about overriding John Adam, who put together the list for me of these songs, uh, and, and doing that song, because it's such an amazing song. But I've, I've played it before. I think I've played it twice before. I've never played this song before. And it's uh, by Jackson Brown, Doctor My Eyes. And uh, I think this is a song that a lot of people have heard and never really took in what what this song is really all about and, and what the point of this song really is. you got to understand, 1970s, we're in a world of turmoil. We're at the tail end of the Vietnam War. It's been going on for two decades almost. Um, we're not out yet, by the way. We're having all kinds of turmoil within Washington, D.C. Watergate's coming. Um, jobs that have been safe and secure for 20 years since World War II are being lost. Steel mills are closing. Um, the hippie generation is going nuts. Uh, drugs are, 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 are rising in a way that we hadn't previously seen. Um, some people feel like they have no chance to make it in the world. We're, we're not done yet, anywhere near done yet with, with getting the civil rights to where it needs to be. Um, there's, there's tension over that. There's veterans coming home and they're not able to get jobs. I know in a lot of ways some of this sounds modern, but it was different. L having lived through the late 70s and early 80s, I, 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 I kind of feel, I think I understand what it was like then more than most people do. I remember, you know, 78, 79, my dad starting his, his, his gas station and tire business and, and, and just, The way people talked around me. I was a little kid. I was like five, six years old. And they don't think you understand, but you understand more than they think you do when you're that age. And realizing, like, it's depressing. And, and, and people were asking themselves, like, you know, what, what the hell's the point in some ways? So let me just read the key, uh, key lyrics to you uh, of this song. Because when you're listening to the song, it's so upbeat, you might not really get how deep it is. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years... And the slow parade of fears without crying. Now I want to understand. I have done all that I could to see the evil and the good without hiding. You must help me if you can. Doctor my eyes, tell me what is wrong. Was I unwise to leave them open for so long? Because I have wandered through this world 
as, and as each moment has unfurled, I've been waiting to awaken from these dreams. People go just where they will. I never noticed them until I got this feeling that it's later than it seems. Doctor, my eyes, tell me what you see. I hear their cries. Just say if it's too late for me. Doctor, my eyes cannot see the sky. Is this the price for having learned how not to cry? Think about it. And think about what the 60s and 70s were like and how people felt. No, no stretch in seeing why this song was really a hit. The other reason it was a hit is Jackson Brown's awesome. I saw Jackson Brown live in concert about four years ago when he opened for Jimmy Buffett. Some of you know I'm a huge Jimmy Buffett fan. Jimmy's done. Jimmy's, Jimmy's had his run. I'll probably never go to another concert. I don't want to see a guy I love that much not be good. I really don't. Jackson Brown sounded like it was 1972. And he was good. This guy just keeps on rocking. Incredible voice. He's done some incredible work. And this song does typify where we were in 1972. And it's going to typify where we're going to be again if we don't do something about our next generation. It's up to us. That's what today's show is all about. With that... This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Doctor, my eyes have seen the years And the slow parade of fears without crying Now I want to understand I have done all Thank you.